We talk about the church in terms that we get out of Scripture that are descriptive and, and uh, I guess, symbolic, but they give us a picture that help us understand the church. For example, we talk about the church being a body. We understand that picture. Every person makes up a member of the body, and together we make up the body of Christ. We talk about the church being a family, and that's a powerful picture. The idea is, is pretty clear, isn't it, that when we accept Christ into our lives, we are adopted into God's family. And when we're adopted into his family, if he's your father and he's my father, that means you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're family. We sometimes talk about the, the church as a fellowship. And that's a biblical term. The term is koinonia. And the word means a whole lot more than, than the way we usually were, use the word fellowship. We use the word fellowship really to mean party. But Baptists are uncomfortable with the word party. So we fellowship. But fellowship really means, koinonia is sharing life together. It's connecting. And it's, it's, that's a perfect picture of the church that we have come together to share our lives together. And that's a biblical term, biblical concept. And that works out so great. Sometimes we think of the church uh, uh, as a spiritual building. We, we, we stress all the time that the church is not the building here. And that's true. But we do see in Scripture that the church is a spiritual building made up of living stones. Well, I want to add to all of those images, those, those uh, helpful concepts of what the church is. I want to add to that the idea of a team, that we are on God's team. And to help us with that, believe it or not, we're going to go to the Old Testament. If you'll look with me in the book of Exodus, there's a great story there that I want us to review together this morning. And as we review this story, we're going to learn certain principles from Moses' experience that we can then take those principles and apply them to the church. It really is a, a, a great... Um, a, a, quick look into leadership and ministry. And as we look at leadership and ministry uh, in, in Moses' experience, we're going to gain these principles. Then we'll take those principles and apply them to the church. Okay? Look with me then. We're in Exodus chapter 18. I want to begin at verse 13. Exodus 18 and 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Now, you and I grew up in a day and, and a culture in which uh, uh, judging people is seen as a bad thing. Don't take our experience and our culture and throw that onto this scripture. 
This is not what it, look, what it sounds like. Moses is sitting on his front porch judging people. He's actually providing a very important, necessary leadership task. When it says he's judging people, what it means is that he has placed himself in a position where everybody in the area can find him. Now, if this was in a city or a town, Moses would, like other judges, sit in the city gates. Then folks knew where to go to see the judge. You, you didn't make an appointment. You didn't get on the docket. You just knew the judge was going to be at the city gates. And so you'd go find the judge, and you'd say, Judge, I got a, I've got an issue. I have a decision. I'm struggling with a question. I see it this way. My neighbor sees it a different way. Can you help us figure out what it is we need to do? And the judge would give you wisdom. Well, at this point in the story, Moses has led the people out of Israel, and they are wandering through the wilderness. They have come to Mount Sinai. And there's, so there's not like a city. There's no gate for him to sit in. So he sits in a spot where they can all see him. Now remember that by this time, the nation of Israel, having left Egypt, wandering through the wilderness, they number somewhere around a million people. So here is Moses, one dude, and he's got to help a million people sort out all their problems. And so it says that he sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And the implication is that this went on day after day after day. When Moses, now I'm in verse 14, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Leave it to an in-law to question you, right? <laughs> but in this case, dad-in-law was right. He says, Moses, what in the world are you doing, son? Think about this. Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. Why do you take this responsibility on yourself? Why are you doing this by yourself? Well, think about this now. There's a reason that Moses might feel this obligation. He has led the people from Egypt, right? They've kind of settled around Mount Sinai, but... He does not yet have the law. That happens in the next chapter. So since he does not have the law, they don't have any rules to live by. And also, remember, they not only have no rules to live by, but they also do not have the, the personal interaction with the Holy Spirit. At this time, God is dealing with the nation as a whole. Individually and personally, 
they don't have a way to connect with God. So if you don't have a way to connect with God as an individual and you don't have the, the rules to live by, what do you do? You go to the only guy who might know what to do. You go to the guy who has direct access to God and you say, what do you think I should do? What, what does God want me to do? I can't ask God and I don't have his rules, so Moses, you tell me what to do. There's a reason that he feels this obligation, and it makes some sense. But it also is impossible. And so his father-in-law says, dude, what are you doing? You're going to sit here all alone, one, and all the people, about a million are going to bug you day in, day out, all day long with their problems. Verse 15, Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. See, they can't inquire of God directly. They, Moses says, they come to me to ask what God wants. 16, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. I tell them what God wants them to do because I, we don't have the rules yet and they can't ask God on their own so I got to figure out what God wants and I got to tell them. He is saying to his father-in-law, this is the only way it can be. Now, while that feels true to Moses, we notice that there's a little bit of an eye problem. Not E-Y-E. But Moses has a little bit of an eye problem. Because listen to it again. His response to his father-in-law. The people come to me to ask about God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. I decide. I make known to them what God wants them to do. See, there's just a little bit too much of Moses in the mix. So his father-in-law says, why are you doing this? And Moses says, because they can't survive without me. He thought he was too important. And then father-in-law gives him some advice. And within this advice, we can learn these important principles that I want to show you this morning. He says in verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. And the first thing that we learn from Moses' experience is that successful ministry requires a team effort. Successful ministry requires a team effort. Here, father-in-law says, Moses, this is not good for you and it's not good for the people. 
They can't be standing there all day long hoping they get their turn. When they don't get their turn, they got to come back in the morning and they got to stand all day long again. I mean, you can only, you can only stay on hold with tech support so long. And eventually you got to hang up. He says, look, this is not good for you, Moses. You can't even hardly turn around trying to cover all this. But it's also not good for the people. we got to come up with a better plan. And so what he says, Moses, is you cannot do this alone. It's not that the work is the wrong work or that it's not important work. It's that you shouldn't do it alone. You see, successful ministry requires a team effort. Following our football theme for the weekend, we can't all be quarterbacks. If, every, if all 11 people are quarterbacks, there's no blocking, and the other team just comes in and wipes us all out immediately. We can't, we can't all be running backs. You only got one ball. We can't all be wide receivers. Nobody to throw the ball to us. We can't all be linemen. Because you'll hold the line, but you'll never progress. Successful ministry requires a team effort. We need your gifts and your abilities and your personality and your, and your interests. We need you. And so each of us come together on God's team. The team effort is where we find success in ministry. But there's another principle as well. In the next couple of verses, look at verse uh, 19. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. Now, that's the first, that's the first advice that reminds Moses, this ain't about you, dude. Instead of you trying to figure out and tell everybody what God wants, how about we go the other way? How about you get the problems and you take the problems to God and let him sort them out? But then in verse 20, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. He says, stop trying to figure it all out on your own. This is a team effort. we got to work together on this thing. But not only is it a team effort, but we also learn that each team member must accept personal responsibility. And so what father-in-law says to Moses, you take the problems to God, y'all figure it out, and then you come back and tell the folks some rules that will guide them give them advice about how to live so once they know how to live they don't have to keep running to you with every little question every little decision teach them the principles of life now he stressed that you're to get those from God but once you get them from God 
Give them to the people. Did you know, because I didn't really ever pay attention to this, did you know that before Moses went up the mountain to get the law, his father-in-law told him to do it? His father-in-law says, take the, problem, take the people's problems to God, get the rules of how we live life from God, and bring those back to the people. That way you don't have to sit there and figure it all out for yourself. Now, his advice gives us this great principle because his advice was this. Teach the people what they're supposed to do and then expect them to accept personal responsibility. Now it's not Moses' job to make sure everybody's good. Now Moses teaches them what they're supposed to do and it becomes their responsibility to please God. That's the way a team works. That's the way the church works. When each of us accept personal responsibility. You can't win the game sitting in the stands. Now, when I watch the, when I watch the Trojans play football, I love, you know, I love Friday nights. I love watching football. We used to get a kick out of seeing Preston take that ball into the end zone. And man, I tell you what, he would take that ball in the end zone and we'd all stand up, we'd shout and cheer. Clock had run out, we'd win the game, and that's what we're saying, we won! We? I didn't run that ball in the end zone. I didn't do nothing. The team members won the game. But we say we won. And I think there's this misunderstanding about church life today. Because I attend a spot, that means that I'm wearing their uniform. And that way I can say we. When in reality there are a whole lot more cheerleaders than there are team members. There's a whole lot more people in the stands watching saying we than there are people on the field putting their all into the game. Moses says, teach the people what to do and then expect them to accept personal responsibility. I said Moses said that, you know his father-in-law said it. So we, we can apply this principle to church today by expecting by encouraging each member to accept personal responsibility to play their role on the team. Well, then we learn something else in this experience of Moses and his father-in-law. Look, there's another great principle. We pick it up in, uh, in verse 21. Look for able men from all the people who fear God who are trustworthy and hate a bribe 
and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. He says, so what you want to do instead of taking all of this responsibility on yourself, teach the folks what to do, let each member accept personal responsibility, and then that the third principle is there must be some organization on the team. So he says, here's what you do. Pick out some, some men who can be real leaders. And he gives, us some, he gives us some qualifications for who these men should be. And he said, now, put some of them in charge of thousands, and some in charge of hundreds, and some in charge of tens. There's an organization and a structure to the team. So everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Everybody understands their role. Again, this is how church works when there's some organization on the team. This is why the church has committees. This is why we elect teachers and officers and, and leaders. We, we, we have to know who's on the team. And then we have to have some kind of structure to keep the team organized. Folks, this is why membership is important. I understand that in today's, today's time, I, I understand that there's church is changing. And because church is changing and culture is changing, there's a feeling like, does it really matter if I'm a member? I'll just show up. I'll give them my money. I'll just do. But this is why membership is important. Because when you actually join a church, you are saying to that church, I'm on the team. You can count on me. And organizationally, administratively, once your name is on the roster, then folks know that they can place you in different spots and they can depend on you because you're not just a spectator anymore. You're on the team. And we can count on each other when we're on a team. It's making a commitment to one another. I expect my team members to show up and they can expect me as a team member to show up. But not only to show up, I expect my team members to give their all, and they expect me as a member of the team to give my all. We can count on each other. See, God's team works with the principles that Moses learned so long ago. Successful ministry requires a team effort, all of us together. And each team member accepts personal responsibility 
And there has to be some organization, some plan for the team. Now, I've got another one, but I don't think we're going to take time for it. I may save this for Wednesday because you can go back and look at verse 21 if you want to spend some time with it. Go back and look at verse 21 at the qualifications for being an active team player. Spend some time at, uh, in verse 21 this week and look at those qualifications of what it takes to be an active team player. But for today, let me just remind you that Moses went up on the mountain right after this conversation and God gave to him the earliest written form of the playbook. Now over time, God has added to the playbook and then eventually God closed the playbook and said, this is all you need. We've got the playbook. He told us the game plan. He told us the game plan. The game plan is go into all the nations teaching and baptizing. The game plan is tell people about me. And along the way, love God with everything you've got and love each other. That's the game plan. Tell people about God. Love God with all you've got and love each other. And not only that, but he gave us a coach. The night that Jesus was about to die, he spent the last few hours with his disciples. He said, guys, I got to go. I'm about to die, and after I die, I'm going back to, to be with my father. But when I go back to be with my father, I'm going to send an advocate, a friend, a helper, a coach. And the Holy Spirit is going to guide you and teach you, and show you how to be a team and how to be successful. And then that very night, Jesus prayed. If you, want to, if you want to learn the Lord's Prayer, really the Lord's Prayer is found in John 17. The prayer the Lord prayed. Now what we call the Lord's Prayer is a model that he gave to us. What we call the Lord's Prayer is really the disciples' prayer because he gave it to us to show us how to pray. The Lord's Prayer is recorded in John 17 when he prayed for his disciples. And among other things, one of the things that he prayed that night was God, unify them. Make them a team. So understand, we've got the playbook. We know the game plan. We have our coach. The general manager has already declared that we're to be a team. If we'll work together, we can be the team that God intended us to be.